Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, so I ended up having to skip my episode with Sir Lucifer because I had a medical emergency with my mom this weekend and had to cancel that recording. I was so excited to talk to Sir Lucifer about all sorts of things, just all sorts. I don't even want to ruin what we would have talked about because I'm going to get him rescheduled and I'll get him on the show here soon. But today's episode is with my friend Lucy Rowett. She is also a clinical sexologist and certified sex coach practicing in the UK. She's based in Brighton, which is sort of like our equivalent of San Francisco. Very, very hip, uh, lots of gay culture. It's sort of the gay bastion uh, for the UK. So we talked about, well, yeah, some of that stuff, (laughs) how cool her city is, but the bulk of our conversation was talking about diet culture and body image and the strange overlap that they have with purity culture. A lot of it has to do with this idea of self-control or self-loathing and just punishing yourself and policing our own bodies. We also talked about how it's so strange to us what we have seen over the last couple of years. So many healers who've gotten pulled into conspiracy theories. You know who you are if you're listening to this. Or maybe you've met some someone. Maybe you have a friend who was a Reiki healer and is suddenly spouting off QAnon bullshit. Uh, it's kind of strange. And she talked about her work as a sexologist and her focus on removing shame for women. She's even got a really cool program that she calls uh, the Shameless Woman. So you can check the show notes to get a link to that or, of course, listen to the show and she will tell you all about it. So if you are not already on my email list, do please sign up. I've got a safe for work or not safe for work one. I've got some announcements coming up about upcoming workshops. Uh, Starting the first of the year, I'm going to be doing, instead of just one night workshops, I'm going to be doing some programs, some multi-week programs for people. So some group coaching. So do please get on my email list or follow me on social media to find out more about that and keep up to date. All right, I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because I got to get on to the hospital to go see my mom. Enjoy this episode with Lucy Rowett, my lovely friend from the UK. On Keep Them Coming today, I'm joined by a colleague of mine that I absolutely adore, Lucy Rowett. Thank you so much for joining me today on Keep Them Coming. Yay! I'm so excited to be here, and I love it when people pronounce my surname correctly. It's hilarious because people I, are always asking me, "Do you say row it or row it?" It's row it. So thank row you. Row it. I wrote actually wrote it phonetically down and make sure I, that's how I had it in my head. But there are times where I'm trying to do the intro and I still really botch the name. I'm like, wait, 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 no, let me get that right. 
Row it. Yes. Row it. <laughs> so uh, Lucy and I met through Sex Coach U, which is the fabulous and amazing program that we both went through to get our certifications to be yes. certified sex coaches and clinical sexologists. So oh, it's so fun explaining that at networking events or just to people you meet. Uh, it was hilarious and fun and great. And yeah. Yes. Sometimes it's, ooh, and other times it's, uh, what, what? And then other times it's rabbit in the headlights, like, and then the fourth and they one is, a, yeah. <laughs> the other one is, uh, oh, I don't need any help in that department. <laughs> Those are the same ones that come by and find you later and go like, so uh, can I, can I get your card? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So Lizzie, tell, tell my audience a little bit more about yourself. Obviously you have a lovely accent, so you are do. not an American. Where are you at? I'm not, I am based in the UK, as you can tell by my sexy British accent. Yes. Um, and I currently live in Brighton, which is on the South coast of England. And fun fact, if you're not familiar with Brighton, it's known as the gay capital of the UK. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. have... It's, it's interesting because one awesome thing about Brighton is a lot of queer folk come to Brighton because it's a safe haven or a mm-hmm. safer haven than other parts of the UK. Yeah. And we often for, I often forget that Brighton's very much a bubble. It's a very liberal, very left-wing bubble. And we also have two universities here as well. So it's mm-hmm. a very young, very hip, hip and hipster. Yeah. And it's really not, there's a certain Brighton look. It's just very normal to see people wearing all sorts of things like couples of all genders and orientations and it's just a normal thing here and Mm. you know one of my friends who is trans they said that Brighton is one of the only places they feel safe walking down the street Mm. so obviously Brighton isn't completely immune from homophobia and transphobia but it's definitely a lot better here than it is in other parts of the UK and we call it the People's Republic of Brighton and Hope because uh, it's, if you look on the map politically, often the uh, constituencies surrounding us are all blue or conservative because in the UK, blue is conservative, red ah. is Labour, opposite okay. of the US. But Brighton, we are constituencies, the Green Party, the only one in the UK, and Hove is Labour. So mm-hmm. yeah, People's Republic of Brighton and Hove. And I live here, but I come from London originally. Um, but I'm definitely British. Married to a German, though. Both, uh, well, Germans being a little bit more liberal, statistically, I would say, about sexuality and relationships and very much a you-do-you attitude. It's very matter-of-fact, especially in the relationship with nudity. Mm -hmm. As with a lot of countries in Northern Europe, it's just not a thing. Mm-hmm. or it's not a thing it's not an issue like in Germany in a lot of countries you have sauna and you do sauna naked and that's that and that's not an issue it's not sexualized it's just a thing and Got it's it. normal yep. that if you're on a beach in Germany or when you're on your holidays if you're going to strip off to change into your bathing suits there's no hiding it's just a th- it's not a thing and They're I really just bodies. like that yeah. bodies I love to talk to people about so many things that are social constructs and our attitudes here about bodies and nudity and what we're going to get into diet culture body image all that thing they are all social constructs and the beauty of those things is that they can be deconstructed they can we need to acknowledge that they need to be deconstructed within ourselves before we can do something about them and i always say that when we start to do the healing for ourselves and deconstruct for ourselves 
we always have a ripple out effect on the people around us. So I say that to my clients and people on my group programs and to anyone who will listen to me <laughs> on my <laughs> on my free content. It's like, you're not just doing it for you. I mean, you are yeah. doing it for you, but yeah. people around you are inevitably going to be affected. And that's awesome. Absolutely. I, I have talked about that at times there are some clients that are a little bit more challenging to work with, especially maybe the, the single male who mm-hmm. is still holding on to some purity culture standards, some mm-hmm. um, internalized, you know, the misogynistic stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like I have set some people back out into the world as better <laughs> versions of themselves, even if I'm the one who had to help them like and hear mm-hmm. all the bullshit that they were saying and challenge them on some thoughts. But I, I really feel like I have helped change some hearts and minds mm-hmm. because for the sake of getting that person back out into the world so they will act differently and treat people better. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I'll be the rehab center so that their next girlfriend doesn't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Right. But you know, I, I also give them credit. At least they came to a sex coach to say like, Hey, like things aren't working. Like I'm, I'm yeah. not getting the quality relationships or finding kind of sex and connection that I want. And I always congratulate, it's like, kudos to you, you did it, you have taken this massive, brave and scary step of asking for help, which a lot Mm -hmm. of people are not able to do or do not feel able, are too scared to do. So you're awesome for making that step. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, even for my male clients, but it's especially heavy with my female clients, a lot of them are dealing with the effects of diet culture, purity culture, and it's leading some negative self-talk and really poor body image. So yeah. Lucy <laughs> I, is always on social media talking about these things. You definitely need to go follow Lucy and we'll get you her social media info for sure. It's, or it's in the show notes. But what's first, I think diet culture is one of those terms that a lot of people have heard of. They have become a slight vague concept around it, but can you help define it for the listeners a little bit better? So diet culture... I don't know what the official terminology is. And so I'm going to spitball my own version of sure. it. And it may or may not corroborate with the official version. And it's this idea that we constantly need to be improving our bodies mm-hmm. and monitoring what we eat and constantly trying to lose weight and make ourselves smaller, thinner, more toned, more this. It's like a constant societal policing of our bodies, how we look. Mm-hmm and what we eat and our health or perceived health. And ultimately, as I'm saying this, you can probably guess it's a lot about control. Yes. Control, self-control, controlling what other people eat. And the more we start to become aware of diet culture and body image, the more we see it everywhere and how innocuous it can be. Like, for example, for women and even for men, was your mum ever on a diet? And for a lot of people, for a lot of people, including my own mother, constantly on a diet, one diet or another. Yeah. My my mum, it was always either Weight Watchers or Swimming World or mm-hmm. working with a nutritionist. And my mom was always reading books. I don't yeah. remember my mom ever not being on a diet. I've talked about no. that as part of my journey of understanding yeah. diet culture. Same. Yeah. And like, we realized how, com- I didn't, fully realize how say endemic it was Mm -hmm. until I went to this um, book launch in Brighton a few years ago by this she's a registered nutritionist called Pixie Turner 
and she wrote she's written quite a few books and this book was called no need to diet mm. and it's basically you know all it was a really wonderful talk and i think she's a millennial she's my age in her 30s and she gave a really amazing presentation about why diets actually don't work at all all of the statistics say how awful they are they actually cause more problems than they solve mm-hmm. and how toxic diet culture is about not just about losing weight but this idea that health is tied to weight and weight loss and thinness and i remember sitting there going oh my god and then talking to other women in the audience and realizing it was very similar to when I did like live sex coach training, when I've done live sexuality training, mm-hmm. when we suddenly all start sharing our stories. And it's like, oh my God. And it was the same where we were all like peeling back the curtain, talking about our own insecurities with our bodies and the diets we've gone and the mm-hmm. ways and the eating disorders. And, and I remember thinking, oh my God, this is a really massive problem. Yeah. This is huge. And, um, and it also, I, what I like about Pixie Turner, shout out to her, is she mm-hmm. talks a lot how this, how diet culture, it's morphed in the wellness world, like how many dietitians and nutritionists, and of course, nutritionists, that anyone can be a nutritionist, because <laughs> there's no, not a lot of regulation, that a lot of them actually have their own eating disorders in terms of orthorexia. And how just because somebody's a nutritional professional, it doesn't mean they're actually teaching you healthy eating in terms of emotionally healthy as well as whatever is nutritionally in fashion at the moment. Yes. Yes. And that again, is just a form of exercising control and again, tying all some of the, all these things together that I think is a big part of what that boils down to is this control factor that control and self-control is linked to how good of a person you are and how hard you want it or all those things. And I've talked about on my show before, having worked at Jenny Craig, which before the show, I had to uh, catch Lucy up about what Jenny Craig is. It's pretty culturally, culturally ubiquitous here in the U S but it's yeah. Food-based program. Kind of like the one you mentioned. Slimming well. Slimming well. Yeah. Very similar. We've also got Rosemary Connolly, which is another, there's been all sorts of, you know, but the big ones in the UK are like Weight Watchers, which is now rebranded to WW Mm -hmm. and Slimming World. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was a weight loss coach for them for a long time. It is where I figured out I wanted to become a coach, but it was, I think it was a good middle ground at the time for where I was mm-hmm. with diet culture course. I don't know what the program's like now and how much they have shifted, but they always try to say like, we're not a diet, we're a lifestyle. We're trying oh, to yeah. help you change your life. And, and in many ways, it, it was absolutely like, we weren't about like fast weight loss. We weren't about... Um, going and working out for multiple hours a day. It wasn't supposed to be, we were talking about food, body, and mind. And we would mm-hmm. talk about different eating styles and diet mindsets, like the extremist all or nothing stuff. And so many times talking with people, they were emotional eaters mm-hmm. and it was all tied in with what they thought about their self-worth based on, did they control their eating that week when they got emotional or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was a lot of diet extremists, this all or nothing in or out. Mm-hmm. And as, as I, where I am now, I can look back with that hindsight and see all of it tying in with the purity culture standards yeah. that they got raised with mm-hmm. that idea of you are godly and you are good if you have control. Yeah. And also, um, 
and I'm sure there have been memes about it, about all the, the crossovers of purity culture and diet culture, because, I mean, I talk on my own social media, I come from purity culture. Mm-hmm. I'm See? British, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> High five. Yeah. But, you know, I'm British, so I grew up in the UK, but I, my family all religious. I grew up in the church, and I fully embraced the evangelical movement as a teenager. I had that kind of conversion experience when I was, mm-hmm. like, 12, um, and as a young person, it's evangelical Christianity that's hip and cool and trendy and all the things. Did y'all have the so, band and stuff? Oh, yeah, the worship band. Oh, yeah. Basically, as a teenager, my whole social life was around Christian activities. Mm-hmm. All of my friends were Christian. Same here. You know? I went yeah. to church three times a week from the time I was like 16 until I was, or actually 15 until I was 18. Yeah. Three times, four, I, sometimes four times a week. Oh, wow. I'm so, oh, God, I'm not good enough. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, what, was, what was funny is like when I went through faith deconstruction, the first thing I did was said, oh, my God, instead of, oh, my gosh, because mm-hmm. we're not allowed to take the Lord's name in vain. But kind of circling back, it was I had to deconstruct a lot of purity culture and mm-hmm. I went through a massive faith deconstruction. And that we we're talking about this before we started. There's a lot that goes into faith deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And doing sexology training was a huge part of my own deconstruction and sexual healing and you know realizing how many crossovers like with diet culture and purity culture for example labeling things as good and bad mm-hmm. and you know oh, I've been so bad I've eaten this chocolate cake or I've been mm-hmm. so bad because I had impure thoughts yeah. and it's like creating that binary of good versus bad and avoid the bad, 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 bad. Stay away from the bad, whether it's high fat, high carb, high sugar, or sexually explicit boobies or whatever, mm-hmm. or you know, wanting to have sex outside of marriage. And it creates that uh, schism, internal yeah. schism, and also the way that it disproportionately targets women and those yes. socializes. Oh women. my God. In uh-huh. that, you know, control over women's bodies and how low your neckline is and how sensual or sexual you're perceived to be and diet culture you know, how much weight you are carrying or not carrying. What clothes you can wear based on your size. And age and body Mm -hmm. type and all Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, oh, I've been so bad because I gained weight over lockdown or whatever. And because I haven't been to the gym and because I ate an extra dessert or because I'm craving chips. Yeah, I'm even struggling with that right now and trying to, in that moment, it's, it is not that, I have overcome diet culture. Mm. You, you probably, while you have made progress, you, it's not yeah. about this perception of overcoming something or no. uh, stopping something completely. I used to talk about this all the time as, as a weight loss coach, that it's not that you're never going to struggle with your weight or struggle with emotional eating or struggle with depression that causes you to shut down in some ways and not take care of yourself, but it's about understanding that those times will come and having mm. either coping strategies mm. or mantras that you say to yourself, like when I start having those thoughts of like, damn, I've got a wedding I'm performing this weekend. And I have thought about like, I put on a little weight and I haven't seen these people mm. in a while. And those thoughts were flooding over mm. me about the judgment that I might receive or, you know, yeah. are people going to make comments to me about my body? Yeah. And I had to stop myself. And people and say, like, do. Okay. <laughs> they, they may, they, they do. may. Yes, absolutely. They, they, not, they, yeah, they, they probably can. will. But like, I had to stop myself in one day. Okay, that's just the story you're telling yourself about this possible future outcome that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And right now in the moment, it there's no reason to think those things because 
you will just deal with it if it happens. And on top of it, it just might not happen. And who cares? Your body is just fine. Like I still have to have those moments to, to talk to myself or I have to have that strategy in place because it's not that I'm never going to have those thoughts again. No. And I talk about that with my clients and on programs I've done in that when we are moving towards a more, I say healthy, I don't like that term now, but a more loving and nurturing relationship there with our body. Uh-huh. Yeah. Loving and nurturing. There we go. Um, it's also knowing that there's you're still going to struggle and also being risk because we can flip to the other side of damn it why do I still help my hope my body I've done body positivity all wrong right right damn it. and there it is and, again good and bad all, yeah. in or out yeah and that's not a deconstruction it's actually that mm-hmm. you know what you're going to have times when you really struggle with your body and you will experience body grief when you're grieving for the body that you used to have. And now your body's changed. And how do I feel about that? And, you know, even though I feel so much better about my own body, I've done a lot of work with that. I still struggle. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed at times when I've lost weight for whatever reason, thinking, oh, I look much better now. Oh, oh, what's going on there? Oh, I feel a bit fat today. Oh, what is going on? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really difficult. And um, there are still times I think, oh, but I would just look so much better if I could just kind of like that bit would change. And, oh, and it's, it's a really weird thing. And like, under, I say that we have to understand it's the cultural soup that we are still swimming in. Yeah. That it's very difficult to deprogram from because it's literally everywhere and everyone, not everyone, but, and we'll talk, I can't remember if we, if it was recording or not, but we're talking about how it's then morphed into the wellness world. Oh, where now yeah. it's about whole, you know, not now, but whole foods and whatever is in fashion at the moment and clean eating versus unclean eating mm-hmm. and how that also is basically repackaged. And it's very difficult because also if you're a woman uh, or socialized as a woman or non-binary, I bet most of your women friends or those socialized as women are also dealing with it yeah. and are in either in denial or like, no, 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 I, I'm doing this because it feels good or whatever. And, oh, I can't eat that because, you know, and it's, it's really difficult. And it's something that some, the bubble that I'm surrounded by, we have that awareness, but not everyone does. And I was also saying before that it's not that changing your eating can't definitely help you, but you know, there are certain things we can definitely do to make ourselves feel better. And I'm a big fan of exercise and movement, but I say to my clients, where is that line? It's such a subtle line. Where is that line between eating and moving to feel good and self-punishment? And it's so, it can shift so subtly. Yes. Yes. I think that is such an important distinction that the motivation behind it yeah. and, the, and then the feelings that you get afterwards are what's yeah. most important. And yeah, if you're doing it as a form, I was so bad today. I ate terribly. I need to go work out for three extra minutes today, or I'm going to yeah. go for an extra hard run or I was so bad already to today. Yep. Or now I'm just going to go like full tilt and blow it all or like this yeah. punishment. It's binging and purging, Mm -hmm. which also exists in purity culture, Mm -hmm. which we see that in, you know, secretive sexual behavior. 
where it's, oh my God, I've got all these lustful thoughts. I can't do anything. I'm going to have to sit on it. And either you're successful, quote unquote, at sitting on it, Mm -hmm. or you develop a secretive sex life, either in real life or virtually. Oh my gosh. I have to have you read one of my friends books i'm gonna try to have him on my show again soon it's called godly but uh gay mm-hmm. is that right hang on let me make sure godly but gay he was mm-hmm. a baptist minister who knew he was probably not heterosexual growing up but didn't really have terms around gay because he said mm-hmm. that their church made the westboro baptist church look liberal oh my so, god like I he didn't, didn't have that t- possible right he didn't have tv he didn't have radio none of that stuff Baptist minister married has children and then starts cruising as a a gay man. Yeah. So he wrote a whole book about his experience of that extreme repression repression. So it is one thing to tell a kid, these things are awful. These things are dirty. You're a whore and you're going to hell. If you do these things, that's sort of one attitude, but then there's a whole other subset. And I bet you and I help a lot of these people where they're simply given no information. Yeah. They don't have any concepts around masturbation and solo sex. They don't have any, any concepts around healthy relationships, attraction, sexual identity, who they really love, any of those things. Like no. there's shit going on on TikTok and Twitter about Mormon kids and the jump humping thing. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I like, saw that. It's- oh my God. I haven't got a chance to talk with anyone about that yet. Like the fuck. <laughs> I know. That, and girls showing up, Mormon girls. I, I saw a bunch of posts about these Mormon girls showing up pregnant because their parents told them you'll get pregnant from kissing. So they didn't kiss, but they had penis and vagina intercourse. Mm. I mean, it's also <laughs> like, see? I know. And it's like, it's a really common thing where basically just people had nothing about sexuality, mm-hmm. where we just didn't talk about it. And like, it's, I mean, I'm 32. Mm-hmm. When I was at high school, this is back in the mid noughties like from 2000 to 2005, 2007, I was at high school. Mm-hmm. So back then, gay was an insult. That was the word in fashion at the time. Yeah, the you're F gay. word. Oh my- yeah, you're gay yeah. or you're F. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was, that was a, oh, I hate, it was a trendy word to insult people with. Yeah. And of course, when I was back at high school, nobody was openly out. Nobody was. I think there was one very brave boy a few years younger than me who was openly out. One. We have whole one class. girl in the class behind me. And she graduated a year earlier because the bullying was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I think when you were saying about when we, when you don't receive any education or information about uh, sexuality, about masturbation, about anything and how... Like, I remember when I was a teenager, I never masturbated because, you know, that's wrong and sinful. And, but, you know, the church definitely squashed that out of me. But of course, I was sexually curious, just like every, just like not every, like most teenagers are, like many mm-hmm. teens, everyone's curious. And I remember, because I knew I had a clitoris, but I didn't really know what it was for. Mm-hmm. Not really. It wasn't, it hadn't, I hadn't registered. So I remember, trying to masturbate once just okay see how this feels mm-hmm. so I stuck a finger inside my vagina thinking this doesn't feel w- what is the big deal about this <laughs> right it doesn't do anything for me yeah is, th- is this meant to feel good oh sh- have I just taken my own virginity oh my god and I remember um once inserting a tampon 
Um, and I was curious, so I just tried to, you know, push it in and out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like much. <gasps> Have I just had sex now? Have I just taken my own virginity? Um, and I remember that because I didn't, that was what I was told. You know, I was right. very, in, I was fully in the whole purity culture where penis in vagina equals hell, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Not quite, unless, equals, unless you've got a ring on your finger. Oh God. I mean, there's so much, I have so many anecdotes from my time there. And it's like, it's, you know, it, it, there's so much to deconstruct and that, you know, I've spoken to people who come from purity culture you don't fully understand how deeply it affects you unless you've been in it yourself. Like, you know, if you were, I said casually religious, where you grew up and you went to church, but it was just a thing that you did and it wasn't really a thing. It's not as deep as purity culture can go. And yeah. at the same time, it will still sneak in. Yeah. I want to talk, I want to yeah. talk more yeah. about some of the after effects of purity culture and what yeah. we have seen and just vaguely some of the things that we've supported clients with, of course, yeah. with anonymity. Um, but let's take a quick break. We'll pick right back up. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute. So stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. All right, back from the break, picking back up, talking about purity culture. I have seen sometimes, especially with couples where one did get good sexual health information, or at least decent. And I mean, beyond what's reproduction, how do you prevent pregnancy? I'm talking about actual information, whether it's from their parents or from school. Wow. There are are some, they exist. Or or I I had a lot of people who say like, my mom was a nurse. We always uh, use proper yeah. body terms in my home. Yeah. Then I've also got people who are like, my dad was a doctor and it was, we didn't talk about sex. It was, it was yeah. like, I've heard both. Exactly. So I think I've seen, when I see couples that are mixed where one got decent, if not good sexual health information versus one that didn't, there really is such a disconnect for the person that got the good info and understanding that person that got no info mm. because it's, yeah when I start having conversations with couples and like, wait a second, you didn't, you couldn't even be in a bathing suit in front of your father. Like mm. there's some hellish stuff that goes on. Oh, I kind of think is like ancillary behavior around purity culture that can yeah. really fuck some people up when it comes to then having healthy like- relationships with their body and their partner. I like that term ancillary behavior because it's basically describing the constellation that is in play. It's mm-hmm. not just hearing once sex is bad and awful and wrong. It's not just hearing it multiple times, although that's the thing. It's hearing it from multiple people in your life and the resulting behavior that mm-hmm. results of it. I mean, this is a slightly adjacent thing, but it also, even though, um, even if your culture was not purity culture, but it was a conservative culture, mm-hmm. yeah, like either religiously conservative or just very conservative. Basically, the, the after effect is the same in terms of girls' bodies, wrong, bad. So I had one client who um, they washed all the girls' underwear separately from everyone else's. And that, you know, the boys' underwear was allowed to be washed with everything else, but the girls' ah. underwear had to be washed completely separately. Oh my. Oh my. And yeah, 
and that's just one example and like you know a very common example um especially in like south asian culture as well is like and also in purity culture where you're watching tv and a couple start kissing and the mother will immediately go oh, disgusting awful wrong quick change the channel mm-hmm. or cover the kids eyes yeah and like th- those small things that basically reinforce that message that anything to do with bodies sensuality let alone sexuality eroticism anything slightly spicy <sighs> dangerous and then what is that affirming to us in terms of the shame and the fear we feel and as we're saying that i hope that it makes sense to you that you have been constantly taught either explicitly and implicitly both that sex and everything around sex and bodies and nudity because sex always means bodies nudity is dangerous and you've you've created that um unconscious um link to it can i tell you a funny can i tell you funny about my earliest experience with the messaging around sex and bodies oh yeah I was around like four or five-ish years old and I had found one of my uncle's Playboys hidden underneath the spare bed at my grandparents' house. And the spare room was where I kind of like played, took naps, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was small enough to lay under the bed. And if there was enough daylight coming in the room, I could look at this. It was a 30th anniversary edition of Playboy. Mm -hmm. I still remember the cover. Uh, I remember flipping through underneath the bed and like looking at bodies. And it was more of a I kind of joke. I, this is how I know I'm not a lesbian. I'm just bisexual because I'd be looking through the magazine going, where are the dicks? Where are the dicks? Oh, there's an animated one. I was like, pussies are cool. Boobs are great. But it was more of, I wonder what my boobs are going to look like. Look at all these different, I didn't know what a bush was, but I was mm-hmm. looking at all the different kinds of body hair and the, all the, all the exterior parts of vulva look different on everyone. Nipples look different. Mm-hmm. All of those things. It was more of just exploring what bodies look like. Very much like the vulva gallery. Just mm-hmm. what's out there. Well, <laughs> one time I got a little too brave and I was just like laying on the bed, flipping through the pages with my head facing the wall, not facing the door. Mm-hmm. And my uncle all of a sudden like reaches over and snatches it out from me and was like, what are you looking at this for? I was like, I don't know. It was like looking at the naked ladies, I think is what I said. He goes in the room like, mother, she was looking at this playboy. She said she liked looking at the naked girls. And my grandma popped her head in and was like, what were you doing with that? I was like, I don't know. I'm just looking at it. And she just shook her head and then went back in the other room. I don't remember her saying a goddamn word, but in the same, within five seconds, I got the message that it was wrong for me to be looking at that. Mm. I think even retrospect, it was the she's maybe a lesbian because she's Mm -hmm. looking at girls and enjoying it. And that was wrong. But then also, we can't talk about these kind of things. It's like reaffirming this whole thing that this is mysterious and dangerous and bad. And then, of course, your friends, other family members, the conversations that you would have had, all these implicit things that are agreed on it Mm -hmm. snowballs if that's the term yes until you don't really realize it's a thing until you start the deconstruction process and you realize how deeply it goes Mm -hmm. um and like I I have so many of those of my time and like one one thing well I can that's coming to my mind right now is when we were teenagers there was obviously as horny hormonal teenagers who want to but obviously this is wrong and bad and we we completely agree it's wrong and bad <laughs> oh my gosh we're just so huh. 
Yeah. <laughs> and there was this thing, there was this thing of how far can we go? Like how mm-hmm. far is like how how far is okay to go before it gets bad and moral and wrong, you know? Before we, we burn we, an eternal hellfire. Yeah, because sex is premarital sex is absolutely wrong. Completely agree with this. It's dangerous. It's you know, it's wrong. We are godly and we are separate, but but still how far? You know, because, and then like, you know, well, maybe like kissing in a bikini or like, you know, maybe kissing like this. And I can't remember what the consensus was, um, <laughs> but there was still that. And, you know, I remember like with my friends who are all Christian, like, no, we are saving ourselves for marriage. Yeah. High five. Mm-hmm. I never got the purity ring, but I was very, I think, I don't know if I would have, I think I, if, if someone had sold it at a church event, I would have bought one. I signed a purity pledge my senior year of high school. Yeah, that would have been like well 1999. Did you sign a purity yeah. pledge? No, because um, I, I feel like I got purity culture light. Ah. Because again, I grew up in the UK mm-hmm. where it's a bit more secular in that, you know, luckily the purity culture that I had was kind of confined to the Christian activities that I did. My, my high school was Church of England and mm-hmm. we had the leader of the school Christian group giving the sex education sadly but but my high school even though it was church of england which is it's it it's not religious religious like Uh you know we we had a secular education yeah we had religious education as a class we had assembly we attended church a church service once every few months but it was a secular education gotcha so yeah my my church got a new youth minister my senior year and he brought that in like I showed up Ooh. one night not knowing that was what was happening because I hadn't been to youth group in a while but I guess they've been doing lessons building up to that so I showed up and they're like okay y'all time to do these purity pledges and they like turn the lights off and like had candles going he gave this really heartfelt speech and like cried about how special it was that he and his wife lost their virginity oh. to each other and of course now I understand like I feel like it's highly inappropriate for a 25 26 year old man to be talking to a bunch of teenagers about a sex life yeah. which I found out later was talking at like the summer camps with the boys about sex and how great it was and not I don't think being explicit about like these are the things I do to my wife but basically like y'all just don't understand you can't you know just you got you will just basically amping up what sex was for these teenage boys and saying inappropriate things about his sex life and his wife and also yes I'm calling out pastor fucking Dan on my podcast (laughs) yeah pastor Dan if you're listening to this but you know also like it was that it was I say it was that constant thing. Oh, no, no, we believe sex is great within marriage. Yes. It's wonderful sex. It's this most amazing, beautiful gift. We're not anti-sex, just within marriage. And so, and you, you know, and like I've had conversations with, with Christian friends before, like, no, no, I believe that sex is a beautiful gift, but it must be within marriage. And I just think that, you know, masturbation, it just it gets quite dangerous. And I'm denying my husband this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't understand why Christians are so against masturbation. Because we we have to remember that the seed is sacred. But it's also these constant talks that you've been given. It's not a one-stop shop. You would have had so many talks and conversations where like, yeah, I totally get it. Playing devil's advocate. And it's not, you know, and also remember the people giving these talks, they're not having bad intentions. They're just perpetuating what they yes. believe. Yes. And like another example I want to give that is really fresh in my mind is like we had, when I was in my Christian youth group as a teenager, of course, we did not have sex. It was bad. And then the, I remember there was a couple 
who were like a golden couple where they've been together for five years and actually they are still married, which mm-hmm. is quite remarkable. Um, and they were basically saying, yeah, we've been together five years, we don't have sex. Almost like wearing that as a badge of pride. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's weird, I, I'd love to meet them now, especially the guy, because we were in the same high school year. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Dixon, by the way, for listening, I'd really <laughs> love to connect with you. He's actually a musician now uh, called Fife. God, I really want to meet him again just to talk to him. I don't know anything about his marriage, but I, I wonder what the impact has been for him and his wife. I wonder what the impact has been for so many of these couples where they took the purity pledge or they did this thing of, we are not having sex until marriage. And then they got married. How did that impact their intimate life? What they, There will have been difficulties for one or both of them. Mm-hmm. How did they overcome them or have they overcome them or has it been a contention in their marriage has it been a thorn in their side or Man, i have i have a couple in mind i think i'm going to reach out to and ask yeah they're still together yeah but and it, yeah i know some of the messages that they were given and i know some of the things they adhered to and some of the things that they didn't so yes i would be curious I'm, how the I'm sex just, is absolutely or how how their attitudes or beliefs around sex have affected yeah. them personally or affected their relationship or if they again deconstructed some of that shit and i kind of want to because you know we, in this uh episode we talked about diet culture and purity mm-hmm. culture and how they are linked and something that i've left out or we've left out is that oh, there's such a high correlation between purity culture survivors who then go on to develop eating disorders mm-hmm. and vice versa and that's not a coincidence it's not yeah. and you know it's in one way, substituting one trauma for another. And there are many, obviously there are many different causes for eating disorders, but it's almost like the purity culture environment, it creates, it's like the perfect, the perfect soil for it to, for it to flourish mm-hmm. in terms of that disembodiment, yeah. in terms of my body is bad, in terms of my body must be controlled, yes. in terms of, you know, lowering the neckline, Ooh, dangerous, somehow my, my female curvaceous body or my body with curves and boobs and a bum is somehow dangerous and bad and wrong and must be controlled. Mm-hmm. Plus, we know about all of these like Christian weight loss programs that we see and we hear that are really toxic, but to be godly. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of stuff in the news recently about one gal that was like the Christian yeah. weight loss. And she died. The big ass hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she had a cult. It was a cult, basically. Yeah. Didn't she die? Like, no. I think she, I think it was actually a plane crash or something oh, quite horrific. Um, well, sorry to the other victims. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's weird, but it's like, you know, it, it gets tied in because it's about self-control. You know, mm-hmm. the seven deadly sins, one of them is gluttony. Gluttony. Mm-hmm. And how actually overeating is a sign of weakness. And so if you're listening to this, can you, I'm sure there, there have been memes and things written of the massive crossovers between purity culture and diet culture and how one will inadvertently affect the other. Yeah. That my body is somehow bad and needs to be controlled, whether that's my sexual lusty lust lustness or the fact that I like food. And what does that do to the soul? What does that do to your relationship with yourself and worthiness? Well, and a lot. Yes. <laughs> well, and also here in the United States, there's 
as we were talking about before the show, there's so much sensuality tied to food here, especially in marketing that food porn, you know, that's the whole term. And that I think plays into a lot of stuff as well as the, we're being sold it by the media yet being it's being pushed back against like you can't condition us one way and then tell us we are bad people for being conditioned that way Mm. that's my biggest problem with it yeah food porn who was it you were saying is really big about talking about was it sarah martin yeah she's a good friend of mine uh her i think her website i think it's dignified hedonist i think she may have changed it i can't remember but um, I'm sure we could tag us somewhere. Fellow, she- fellow sex coach, you alum. Hi, Sarah. I'll <laughs> tell her that I, but because, um, you know, she and I have been close friends pretty much, yeah, since 2015, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. And like we were talking about, because she's from the USA, but lives in Lithuania, but she's lived outside of the USA most of her life. And we're talking about the massive crossovers with American attitudes towards sexuality and how it often gets expressed through food in that. And also this happens in lots of cultures where you have a lot of sexual conservatism and repression. And so you it's inevitable you end up expressing that sensuality through the medium of food. And you know, food is wonderful. I love food and food can be a very sensual experience. And how it kind of, it's interesting how that desire for sensuality, that desire for enjoyment gets kind of channeled into food and really kind of put a lot into food, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it makes sense. And also like, you know what's sad how it's all tied together, honestly. But I find it really, because obviously I'm British, as you can tell, and, you know, the UK and the USA, there's lots of cultural similarities and yet differences in the, I forget in the USA, like you get the whole thing is supersized, like the massive portions of food yeah. and drink that you have in the USA. I, I find it amazing. Even though in the UK, we've adopted some of that because in Europe, the portions are a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, know, they are a lot smaller and every I've been to the USA once I've been to Canada once I have I've worked with people in the USA and I'm just always surprised like oh my god that's that's a lot that's a lot why (laughs) why do you deserve that bigger portion oh my god I can't eat that it's it is rather ridiculous here on the portion sizes and again it's I think a lot of this ties into to this idea of Christianity tells us that we are all personally responsible, mm-hmm. right? And so I think all of that ties into that. Like, yes, the yeah. portion sizes may be big, but it's your responsibility to not clean the plate. There may be starving children and this may be very wasteful and this is also affecting our economy and our waste streams and our environment, things like that. But it's, but it's your, your responsibility. And you have, you're obviously not strong enough. it's a lack of willpower and it's that you could not control yourself and studies show that you will eat more if it's on your plate and again did we get all these messages about not wasting and how you know that's also bad is that good bad you are personally responsible for being good and it's your fault if you are bad yeah but i mean this is this also is a very philosophical discussion that it ties into the basically protestant um, morals and values and how Protestantism 
is the back the backbone the the cultural backdrop of both the UK and the USA yeah um and I guess by default Australia as well like the mm-hmm. English Anglophone countries mm-hmm. and of course um it's similar in other countries but the UK that there is, it is a phenomenon about how UK Anglophone culture if that's the word it's it's a dominant culture that is around the world and that comes from proper Protestantism mm-hmm. and it's why I say that even though I'm religious I talk about coming from a religious background a lot of this still applies to people who don't come from overt religious backgrounds because your parents and grandparents would have been going to church yeah and how the Protestant values of individualism of self-sacrifice of over of being worthy of earning the kingdom of God that hard work equals more and how that crosses over into the wellness, coaching, personal development, and entrepreneurial space. It's all, I don't know, symptoms of the same, different manifestations of the same, whatever. I'm not going to say the word virus. I don't like that term. Very, I'm very mindful terminology I use now. Yeah. But we have to understand that. And yes, why yes. You know, people, it's, it's, it's well known. It's well, to, like, um, I really recommend the podcast Sounds Like a Cult. With Sounds like Montel. a cult. Okay. Or no, we'll is it out. her podcast Cultish? Or it's either Cultish or Sounds Like a Cult. And they talk about that. Kimberly Ann Johnson talks about it in terms of, you know, Protestant or colonization t- um, attitudes towards body, sexuality, mm-hmm. personal development, how even though as a, as a whole, the UK and American culture is less religious now. Yeah. But we've taken, it's kind of morphed into our religious devotion to fitness to businesses to branding to being the best version of yourself and that's all as we kind of talked about before the show it's all related to capitalism as well colonialization and capitalization are capitalism capitalism sorry hang on (laughs) i got too fast there colonialization and colonization oh colonization Uh, i say it wrong I'm getting the words wrong, but because with my clients, um, especially, I, w- I love talking about, because I learned this from my coach and mentor, Catherine Hale, and she learned it from other places. And it's, it's a phenomena of internalized capitalism, which is the way that we are constantly over-exploiting our own resources through working, through exercise, through this, through constantly trying to improve ourselves. And I talk about it in groups, the group works I do, like the Shameless Women and the upcoming Shameless Women Immersion, that we have to understand that, but it underpins everything about if you're struggling with sex and pleasure, there's going to be also issues around pleasure in general and how you feel about your body. And I've had some really awesome conversations with clients where it's like, I know I don't want to lose weight, but I'm still struggling with this and I'm not sure what to do. And I'm like, Nutrition is awesome. Movement is awesome. But where is that line of I'm exercising in order to feel worthy? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. where I can't say what that line is, I'm not going to say you should never want to do this, but keeping that uh, inquiry as to am I doing this from a place of self punishment because being this body type and size is wrong and bad and I am only good enough and attractive and worthy enough when I'm a certain size and shape and blah 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 blah. yeah just being mindful of that and like eat the chocolate cake with all of your senses and like let it go all over your face and really enjoy that and then oh, shit, hit my microphone. indulge in it and then what comes up when you do that 
Yes. And I, I love how you phrase it. And your program is called the shameless woman, because all of this that we talked about is so tied in with shame, because once we're in it, you know, we've done the thing, we've been bad, or we haven't been good, then we go through all the shame and all that, which is more about like, I am bad rather than I did something bad. Like guilt is that I did something bad and shame is that internalized. I'm a bad person for all of these things. And Obviously, Lucy and I both being clinical sexologists, we help people through this process. So it's not like we're here to give away all of our tips and tricks, but like, I do want to talk a little bit about what are some of the effects of the transformation that you've been able to help people make when they're trying to deprogram all this stuff and have a better sex life and healthier relationships. So, I mean, I've had really awesome testimonials and feedback and some of it has been like I had one client saying that they are now exploring open relationships with their partner. Mm-hmm. Um, another client, and I think it's the same. Like other ones have said that you know I feel really sexy, that I can feel sexy just by moving my hips, and that it can be really subtle. Mm-hmm. And actually, another wonderful piece of feedback I had is that it's I'm I actually have permission to not be sexual, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That I can choose when I want to that I don't have to have it completely on or completely off. And it's like this, you know, I had one client saying, I I was able to give my husband a blowjob in the shower, but it felt good for me and I wanted to do it rather than I gave him a blowjob, there we go, job done. And Uh actually did it from a place of curiosity and enjoyment and it felt really fun and spontaneous rather than I had to do it because I've been denying him for a long time because often the people that come to me and what I talk about is that feeling of resentment with their usually husbands or male partners, not always, whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like I am giving sex in order to keep him happy and I hate it. Oh gosh, same here. Yes, I have a lot of clients going through that. And so the transformation is often it's very subtle and powerful that my body is mine. Actually, my pleasure is mine. Mm -hmm. And that is such a simple and subtle and yet really fucking powerful thing. Yes. You know, yes, like it is. You can learn all the different sex positions. Awesome. You can wear lingerie. I love lingerie. I love sex toys. You can read all these things, but if it's coming from a place of I should, or I'm doing this for my partner, it's going to, unless there is that initial bedrock of, my body first, my sexuality first, my pleasure first, it may end up causing, usually ends up causing that emptiness or resentment where I'm going through the motions, but I don't like it and I don't enjoy it. And what will happen is you get that volcano or after a while it's like, ah, yeah. And it doesn't matter what your gender is. This, this is what will happen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you're not in it for yourself and finding pleasure in the moment that you are in like mm. there's definitely guys who say like oh i just go down on her because like that's what yeah. she likes and let me do it you're not speaking about this with any enthusiasm it's no different than the gal who's like i just give him a blowjob to get him off my back or like realize i haven't done this in a while I that duty and obligation yes yeah. yes i love um, helping people remove that duty and obligation part yeah. of it I feel like I want to write something on that, some content, because it's like, you know, you can give a blowjob or give cunnilingus, but if you don't want to and you don't enjoy it, 
it's not going to be pleasurable. Your partner will feel it. Yeah. They know, even if you're making all the right sounds, even if you're swirling your tongue completely in the perfect clockwise direction five times, whatever, they all know. Yes. They know you can feel it. And I don't want to receive any sexual or intimate act that my partner does not really want to do because I you feel it. Yes. And it just doesn't feel good for anyone. <laughs> yes. And then it becomes like a transaction that doesn't feel sexy. Correct. And Unless by you the... want to go that whole sexy player, like, ooh, you know, play around with that. But there's yes. an intention, there's a difference. Exactly. And by the same token, I don't want any of my clients and I don't want my partner either to, to do things that they don't enjoy. It's also not just a matter of like, okay, well then just stop doing the thing because you don't like it. It's about exploring what what is the block? What is the barrier? I love teaching my cock worship class because it's about shifting your attitude to like, I am in charge. I am going to give pleasure. And there is something that I think just stirs up in yourself when you're like, I am going to just fucking rock their world right now. And I am in yeah. charge of that. That can be a little bit of a switch. And you're turning off that messaging about, I have to do this. It's I get to do this. It, it takes a little time, I think, for people to adjust that mindset yeah. around it. But I um, love getting those emails from people who are like, oh, my God, I gave him a blowjob. He said it was the best he'd ever gotten. And I actually like doing it. And Because you can uh, have a lot of pleasure from giving a blowjob. Yes. And what if you would only give a blowjob that feels really pleasurable and delightful mm -hmm. to you? Yeah. And that often concludes deconditioning about, oh my God, I shouldn't put my mouth on penises because it's dirty and all of the smell and all of that. But or porn has taught you you're supposed to deep throat and choke on it, or yeah, it's supposed to be like slapped against your face and like, no, <laughs> you do not have to do any of those things if you don't like it. But you uh, do do need to think about how you can shift your mindset and be the active participant in the act and enjoy it along the way exactly but what's it there's um a wonderful phrase i saw i don't know who came up with it but in order to give enjoyable head you need to enjoy giving head yes <laughs> if you find out who said that let me know because i'll quote him in my next cock worship uh, <laughs> workshop yeah it's true like i'm getting it's interesting it's really, i have so many ideas now it's like because with my clients the ones that come to me where it's like okay I'm not doing it now, but I don't know what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, it's great that you're no longer doing the things you don't want to do. Awesome. Now, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's kind of going back to diet culture and purity culture is that you aren't, there's no such thing as body autonomy in terms of learning how to say no to what you don't want and learning how to say yes to what you do want because that's taken out of you mm -hmm. whether it's food in terms of oh, I have to eat the kale because it's healthy rather than if you don't like it or I really want to eat this juicy juicy mango and I want to and it's getting back to what actually do I want and what yes. don't I want and with purity culture there is that, well, there's no such thing as body autonomy because your body belongs to God or it belongs to your future husband. And that you just have to keep saying no. And in the sexology field and the tantra field, we say we, you can't truly say yes until you learn how to say no. And you uh -huh. feel that, that no is heard. And then you can start saying yes. That's and beautiful. it's 
you know, for a lot of, especially the way that I work, it's because I work with women and people who are socialized women, so non-binary people with vulvas, it's can I really feel that knowing my body and feel my boundaries first? And how do I feel that difference and distinction between yes and no? How does my body tell me it likes something? How does my body tell me it doesn't like something? Can I build that body feedback mechanism? Yes, I did an episode about learning what yes and no feels like in your body. It's so important. Yeah. And helping clients recognize that. (sighs) Yes, that is, I think, one of the, the main things that we are responsible for is getting people back in tune with what yes and no feels like, helping them recognize their boundaries, learning to communicate about those boundaries and oh yeah, all those things. Oh man, it's a lot. It's so we much. love it. We love it. Yeah, we do. It's I. It's always I. I love doing. Um, I love talking with other people. I just I love the the juicy feedback, the juicy turn from the uh, the. What was I going to say? It's just that you know we're both passionate about the work that we do, and we both we believe that it really does change lives, and yes. it's a whole shifting. And a, I, I I I didn't invent this. I came up with it. It may I may not have originated this term like sexual deconstruction. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I've come up. I say I've come up with the term. I somebody else probably came up with it before I did. So if we find out who that was, I want to credit them. I don't remember reading. Well, that I term, might need but- to use that in my book that I'm writing about toxic white Christianity and how it fucks us up in the United States when I, and UK even for yeah, uh, our dating. I'm it. still working on that book. I interviewed Lucy for it. She yeah. will be quoted in it, but sexual deconstruction. Sexual yeah, if I do find out that someone coined that before you, I will credit them, but otherwise I'll credit you. Yeah, because I, I, I'm sh- anyway. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's like when we're working with sexuality, we have to deconstruct everything that we think it means and then reconstruct what we want it to mean. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> well, and diet culture. Diet, body, diet culture. Decon- so like, I guess to... To, to conclude, obviously, I really recommend the book Come As You Are by yes. Dr. Emily Nagoski. I call it the Bible for women or you know, the, the Bible for women and everyone who loves them and who are, have female bodies. Yes. And it's she talks about bikini industrial, big bikini, bikini industrial complex. Yes. And how closely that ties into how we feel about our bodies and sexuality. So I, I read. Yeah. I've had male clients, especially when they're in a partnership, read that because I'm like, you need to understand your partner's perspective about the socialization that they received and the messages that they received. And I get them both to do the breaks and accelerators quiz. The workbook with that is fabulous as well. Yeah. Yeah. That and Mating in Captivity are the two books that pretty much every client (laughs) reads when they work with me. I have a list of resources I give out and I've, I'll give it away for free on my website as well mm-hmm. um, of pleasure resources of the best books and like products, podcasts, I need to update it, but you know, stuff that I recommend basically. Yeah. Of course, a lot of people it's like, okay, but where do I start? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of how do the people find you online? You're, you're on quite a few sites. So give them all your handles. So I am active on Instagram, which is at Lucy Lou Rowett. I have a free Facebook group for women and people with vulvas, and that of course includes trans women as well. It's called the Shameless Woman Free Group. Um, for now, I'm on Facebook. Obviously, I, as lots of people are thinking, I may move off Facebook at some point because lots of different reasons for that. Yeah. 
So for now, it's on Facebook. At some point, I may move it to another platform or channel, whatever comes up. Um, find me, so I have a Facebook page. I don't use it as often as I use my profile because my profile gets more organic reach than my page does because yeah, I can't same. pay for ads. Um, also, I am on LinkedIn, Lucy wrote. Um, I do I do TikTok as well. Not, mm-hmm, as, not yeah. as prolifically as, Kirst, as Kristen does because <laughs> I have limited bandwidth, but I'm on TikTok as Lucy wrote, if you want to follow me there. Um, I do not check my TikTok very often. I have the notifications switched off because social media is a real train. <laughs> It's easy to get sucked into TikTok, but I'll tell you, like the people need sex education, and your content on there is good. So I will go. I will. I will tick and I will talk. Um, I do use Twitter not that much again because it's a massive energy and mental health drain. Lucy wrote on Twitter. I very rarely go on there. If you want to contact me through social media, either Facebook or Instagram, and of course contact me through my website. I have a free free awesome gift on a six part audio course on better sexual communication so i will send it to you with all of the other linky stuff that i send you download it it's free you get my sexy voice in your inbox for six days um oh and you also be on, i know and you're on my mailing list as well do join my mailing list um simply because we are sexuality professionals and we are at the mercy of all the censorship that goes on yeah so if you want me sliding into your inbox every so often, join my mailing list. Um, and of course, I've been talking about the upcoming, the upcoming program for women and people involved. It's called the Shameless Woman Immersion because mm-hmm. I've been running the Shameless Woman twice now. And it's a basic framework of helping women and those with vulvas to release all the shame and inhibitions and hangups you have about sexuality so that you can have the sex and pleasure that you actually want to be having that feels really good for you rather than it feeling like a burden or a duty or something you're giving to your partner and it feels sucky. So it's especially suited for if you come from purity culture or if you come from a very strict upbringing, whether it's religious or faith, or whether you have just come from either a loveless or sexless marriage, or you have been constantly in martyr mode of giving and being a mom and being a business owner, a career woman, and you just want to feel something about yourself sexually. So this is for you. It's for you and you alone. Of course, you can involve your partner in it as much as you want to, but it's about you and your sexuality first. And then we can work with your partner. So if you're interested, do drop me a message. I think we are starting mid-November now. because Perfect. Been I was going to say, when do you start? Okay. It's around about mid-November, simply because I've wanted to, I've been wanting to tinker with the format. Mm-hmm. Um, there were many different, obviously with online and group programs, there are many ways of delivering them. I wanted to make sure that it feels really good for me to deliver yeah. rather than I should be delivering it a certain way. So join my following your own advice, right, Lucy? It has to feel good. Oh my God, Kristen, damn it. Why did I not see that? It has to feel good rather than what it should feel like. Yes, absolutely. Bang, bang, well, I'll definitely put a link for that in the show notes. And I, I'm going to be starting some group workshops after the first year, a little less focused specifically on that, but and those, the group workshops can be really, really powerful for people. Cause it's not just hearing it from us in that one-on-one session. Mm-hmm. When you have a cohort of people who have had very similar experiences, it, it really helps you feel less alone and you can learn so much more from that, the power of the group. So. I prefer, I personally prefer, not prefer, I love one-to-one work and I often prefer group work simply because of the synergy that happens. Mm -hmm. I have healed more and learned more and grown more 
in the capacity of a group mm-hmm. in experience than I have necessarily through one-to-one in general I've had amazing one-to-one experiences as well yeah but for me personally and professionally same here maybe we'll have to do another episode about what uh goes on at SAR and Aspects oh my you, you never come to an Aspects I haven't been to Aspects yet it's just been timing I mean when I was really ready it was COVID and sorry about that yeah so. yeah I'll be at the next as- aspect so are they gonna is it gonna be 2022 I take it I think so I, yeah, I, yeah, I just do I it think- in the spring or early summer it's, it's it's spring early summer in warsaw um, in, poland no not in warsaw, not, not warsaw this time it's you no 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 it never was no. oh okay sar is in warsaw well, the live sar is in warsaw but mm, the aspects okay. it's somewhere else in poland but you meet you get the bus from warsaw it's usually oh, okay. in the middle of nowhere in warsaw in like the past um venue of aspects was literally in the middle of nowhere five hours outside of warsaw like i'm i'm here for it I, deep, I love foreign deep travel. In the dark, <laughs> deep, dark countryside. I'm yeah. cool with that. I grew up in rural Missouri, so the woods don't scare me. You just don't go out in the woods at night. Yeah, in Poland, you just don't go out in the long grass because they have ticks. Oh, and I'm afraid of snakes. So there's that. But yeah, maybe we need to do another <laughs> episode about all that stuff and uh, the, the goodiness of growing sexually and understanding more about yourself and, and those kinds of workshop settings. But well, Lucy, it was such a pleasure speaking with you today. You are absolutely Always. fabulous and one of my favorite leaders within yeah. this industry and this this group of colleagues that I have. Like, Yay, thank you. You're just, you're very fresh and honest and real. And I love that, uh, how do I say this effectively? You're not playing into some of the woo-woo shit. You're very real. <laughs> so thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm semi-woo. What's it? You're, half, you're half woo in, light like out. I am. You're woo light like I am. <laughs> God, woo light. Because I don't like look at a person and go like, oh my goodness, your energy is just, oh, we got to cleanse it. No. Yeah. But I, I can't often look at someone and be like, okay, they're, you're internally to myself. I'm like, their energy's a little intense mm. or disconjointed right now. And like the we, persona you're putting on is not the, the person behind it. But I don't get into like, oh, we've got to talk about your chakras but I do still like understand the connection with chakras yeah. and that stuff. So it's kind of like I'm, I'm a toes in the water, but I'm not fully in the pool. I mean, this is a whole podcast episode and that it, you know, we talked about this before, that it's very common when you come from a faith to then dive headfirst into the world of woo or into mm-hmm. the world of spirituality slash cults. It's very common. I did that. When I left Christianity, I went full throttle the other end of the spectrum into the world of woo and conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that I timed that really well. I'm glad I was into conspiracy theories about eight years ago and I came out of that. <laughs> I'm really glad I'm out of that. Now. You avoided the QAnon phase. I avoid, I, I was pre QAnon. So I'm very grateful that I came out of that just before. And so I'm am vaccinated I. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you came out of it too, Lucy. Let's hope that a lot of our. Uh, people that we love yes people that we love and people that were we were a little surprised at some of the things they had to say over the last couple of years I I hope with influence who are influencing people that is basically creating a public health crisis basically yeah Yeah. anyway yeah yes we could do a whole nother episode about that too well you're just gonna have to return multiple times Lucy I will, baby. Okay. (laughs) All right, dear. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you again for being on Keep Them Coming. 
Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.